Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. You can use a smartphone podcast app. There are many. Uh, iTunes, of course, for you if you're still using that. Or you can turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Niall Kitson, Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central. And I suppose, Niall, the big, big, big news story this week is HP. Yeah, well, sad times in leak slip for uh, employees of HP Inc. Um, facility there uh, is about to close with a loss of around 500 jobs. Um, now, HP, uh, as it is over there, is um, responsible for the PC and print business because, as you might remember last year, Hewlett-Packard split off into two businesses. There's HP Inc., which is the consumer end of it, you know, the print and devices. And on the other, you have Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, which looks after sort of the servers and the big storage and networks and all that kind of stuff that you see powering businesses, but, you know, you'll never see in the home. So this is the consumer end of the business that has taken a, a big bit of a hammering. Uh, HP has been in leak slip for over 20 years. They arrived there in 1995. So you can imagine, you know, a, a community effectively growing up around this factory. Uh, and now that's that's gone. So the, the heart of leak slip is basically being ripped out by this. Um, very, very sad times and very little that the uh, state can actually do about it. True, uh, and I know the idea of bending over backwards to get somebody in there as a as a replacement, but it's a huge facility that they have, and as you say, it's a massive blow. We have seen these things happen before, where massive factories and whatever will close down, and uh, it's a huge blow to town. But this is HP, uh, a huge tech brand in the world, and a lot of big, big tech brands are based in Ireland. HP are pulling out. Do you think this is sending a, a larger message about tech in Ireland? Well, one of the things people talk about in the attraction of, say, the likes of Silicon Docs is the uh, cluster effect. You know, the fact that you do have all these big companies operating in Ireland and and have done for years. I mean, you know, IBM, Microsoft, uh, Apple, they've all been here since what? 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm. Um, HP first arrived in Ireland in 1976, I think it was. So an awful lot of, you know, marquee brands have been here for a long, long time. And it does make you wonder if one of them leaves, are there, is there a domino effect there? Do other places start uh, reevaluating their operations? I don't think that's going to happen in this case because um, this, this uh, closure is related to a wider um, company restructuring. So in total, I think um, the entity formerly known as Hewlett Packard is going to get rid of about 4,000 jobs uh, up to 2019. So it's a massively expensive restructuring going on. Um, it's unfortunate that Leakslip really took the brunt uh, of it if you look in percentage terms I mean you know five, 500 out of 3,000 job losses that is a pretty massive chunk mm. um, for a global organisation so uh I'm I'm hopeful that you know when you have that level of talent that level of expertise um, concentration in one place um, I hope that the staff will have very little trouble either retraining or finding uh, work within the tech sector because as we know there is a massive skill shortage there at the moment mm. um, 
in terms of exactly what skills people are practicing, uh, that's that's uh, another discussion. True. Uh, the other story that's making uh, big news today is uh, Twitter. Uh, they just—it's a very, very interesting concept and company, and they just don't seem to be able to sell it, even though it's a massive global brand. Well, they uh, don't seem to be able to sell themselves. Which you remember, late last year was a thing. Twitter was trying to sell itself, and Disney was one of the suitors. And eventually, they just went no. <laughs> you're too much of a mm. cesspit we're not touching mm. you uh, and, and a lot of the uh, problem with uh, Twitter's reputation is the amount of abuse that's on uh, Twitter so they're taking some steps to try and uh, combat this taking some new steps alright you might remember a couple of weeks ago Jack Dorsey who's the CEO of Twitter um, basically went on and said you know what 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 changes would you like to see in our service? And overwhelmingly, people were talking about cracking down on abuse. Um, and, you know, his uh, line on it was, look, we're, we're working on it. Um, and they're starting to roll out some uh, some new features, some of which are kind of like, well, obviously, like, why haven't they been doing this for ever? basically. So one of the things that Twitter is starting to do is they are looking to identify members that have suspended, had their accounts suspended already and to stop them from creating uh, new accounts. Fairly, fairly obvious um, uh, measure. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. that something similar wasn't in place already. Uh, Another is to remove tweets with sensitive content from blocked or muted accounts. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's another pretty, pretty handy one. Uh, and lastly, and this is where I think they will struggle, is they have committed to removing abusive or low quality replies. So basically what they what they mean is, um, say you post, you know, uh, another fine day uh, in Dublin and somebody posts jerk or something like that, mm. under, you know, as an at reply that that adds nothing to a conversation or anything like that. So that's the sort of tweet that will immediately fall victim to Twitter's new um, uh, new measures. However, there is sort of very stupid and inane and asinine comments like that. Or there are examples of people actively trying to engage you in a debate and they might throw in, you know, an expletive here and there in the in the heat of the moment. But the actual argument might be quite sound so where do you draw the line on this do you go okay fair enough you know uh, a certain word has been used here that's it you're out of here Uh, or do you I don't know maybe ask a user to think again Um, and how much can you automate this kind of process well that's exactly what I was thinking was the logarithm because a lot of these things a human being will look at it and will make a decision because there's so many things that go into just as you described uh, how do you make the decision how can a computer figure that out I have a really good idea for Twitter how they could probably have the amount of abuse that they have on their service and that's to delete the account at real Donald Donald Trump (laughs) well do do you know what (laughs) Do you know what the interesting thing about Donald Trump's Twitter account is? If Twitter had decided to monetize it, say, if you get over X amount of uh, likes or retweets, uh, if you want to get any more likes and retweets, mm. you got to start paying us. Because his stuff gets a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. I know so many people. Don't. I actually know a number of people who've signed up for Twitter just to follow him so they can have a giggle in the morning. That's essentially what they do. Yeah, it's such a car crash. There, it, there's a real car crash effect mm. going on. But you, you kind of, 
such is the man's character that <laughs> I don't think he gets it. Well, listen, speaking of Donald Trump, another thing that's coming out of the States, uh, which I think is quite interesting uh, and worrying at the same time, is that this uh, travel ban that's in place at the moment that's uh, making all the, the headlines. The thinking about the next thing is that for people who are applying for visas to the States, it may be a requirement or it may be something that they are able to ask. Uh, it's the password for your Facebook account. Yeah, now what a load of nonsense. I mean, on a number of on a number of levels. One, all you need is somebody with uh, logged into Facebook, sitting at border. They check the name on the on the passport. They do a little search on Facebook. Have a look at your profile. Yes, sir, you may you may pass. Mm. What a load of nonsense for one. You know, I mean, what what sort of red lines do you think are out there that people will cross? You know, like nobody is going to post you know jihadi forever on facebook oh i'm sure i'm quite sure there are i'm quite oh, sure there are goodness I, w- I, w- I would hope not but uh you know why would you shop yourself that that easily but another problem i have with this even just as an idea is that do you think the u.s government doesn't have this information already if they really want it they will get it and we know that tech companies will just roll over when it comes to government interference you know, we see it in China. No, don't say don't say already. that they'll roll over because they don't necessarily all uh, roll over. And we have that Microsoft case and the email service that are being held in Ireland, and they and Microsoft will absolutely not give access to the American government to those things. Um, but I think you're absolutely right because uh, we've done it so many times where people use dumb passwords. I would say that ninety eight percent of people who are on Facebook have got passwords for Facebook that you could crack in less than a minute if you knew what you were doing. And don't use two-factor authentication. Exactly, exactly. So if they wanted to do, they could get in at it. But the, what what made me laugh about this story more than anything else was kind of like, you know, I don't care who asked for my Facebook password. Nobody's getting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like nobody. I would If they asked me for that at, at the embassy, I would go, do you know what? It's fine. I'm going to go to Australia instead or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> um, and, and, but, the, but, but the thing that struck me was I kind of went, that's ridiculous. And then I went, hang on a minute. Everything that's happened in the last 12 months has been ridiculous. That's true. Everything that has happened is ridiculous. So you Home and away. just <laughs> never know. Uh, there was a, a guy on American television uh, last week, uh, shortly after Donald Trump was uh, was sworn in. And uh, uh, he had a great line. He says, uh, he says, I turned on my, uh, my iPhone the other day and said, uh, what's happening? And Siri said, are you sitting down? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. Listen, one more story for us uh, uh, for this week. And, uh, or actually, yeah, one more story. There's a couple of things in it. Uh, and it's Pirates of Streaming Content. We've t- spoken about this uh, a lot about copyright and people illegally downloading movies and stuff like that. Uh, during the case, uh, during the week, I should say, uh, some Hollywood studios, the big movie studios, Sony and so on, have taken a case against ISPs here in Ireland to prevent people from accessing certain uh, websites and they told the court that watch series which a lot of people watch their box sets on uh, attracted almost two million visits from ireland in october in october alone exactly Wow. Prime Wire had 1.26 million Irish visits and Movie4K had 200,000 visits. So, I mean, this is a big, big problem uh, and they're taking it to court. And I think it's interesting because I have heard this from a number of people who've said it to me and I went, ah, balderdash. Uh, they said, no, 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 it's not illegal. I, I bought this little uh, Android box and I, I stream all the movies. Once I'm not downloading it, I'm not breaking the law. 
It does sound like a little bit of um, loopholery going on, doesn't it? <laughs> it's very much loopholery. But the thing is, is that the loophole actually exists because in copyright law, you don't have to pay copyright on what they call a transient copy. Something okay. that is just, you know, kind of maybe technically necessary is going from A to B or whatever. The, the, a copy of it is made, is not permanently accessible. Okay, so here's the thing, though, right? If if you or me, then, go, go you or I, go on to a streaming site, okay? And we decide to choose, uh, we're going to watch an episode of Game of Thrones. Under this model, we haven't done anything technically wrong. Correct. But what about the person hosting that file? Now, that's where, that's, that is the person that you should be going after. All right, because when you think about how the internet works, if somebody is downloading a file, it's obviously going through a whole load of different uh, uh, servers and, and network junctions and all kinds of things. And the, you could you could almost sue everybody because they have a transient copy that's being delivered to the, the end viewer. Hmm. But no, it's the person who's hosting it in the first place is the person that they really should be going after. Because if you kill the source, well, then you kill well, the problem. that's it. But uh, this was tried a couple of years ago. Uh, you might remember when company was it sweden or norway tried to ban the pirate bay mm. and uh they just um set up under a different domain <laughs> and kept going and that uh, is that is the problem that is the problem you know it is a it is a tricky one i just thought it was very interesting that this whole thing about streaming versus download actually came up in court and the copyright argument was made that if it's a transient copy then you're not technically breaking the law even though as you and i both you said it perfectly you said loopholery <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, going after individuals is such bad PR. And for years, that was the strategy. Mm. You know, if somebody has a, a copy of something, you know, that they downloaded off BitTorrent or something like that, you are at fault. And, you know, it, it did not do the industry any good uh, in the long run. What I think is interesting about this story is the level of damages that um, the MPAA, who are representing Fox, Warner's, Paramount, Disney, Universal, Columbia and Sony uh, in this case, they said that in 2015, um, illegal streaming cost 500 jobs in Ireland and 320 million in lost revenue. There's no doubt that it hurts the industry. I mean, why would you bother spending all that money trying to make a, a, a movie or a television program or whatever it happens to be or music or an album or stuff like that if people are essentially stealing it? Yeah. Why yeah. would you bother? Of course, it's going to affect, uh, affect you uh, financially. So I suppose there's two arguments. So a lot of people who say that they do stream or that they do download movies illegally, this is another survey that was done, uh, they say it's because it's something that they can't get any other way. Well, I bought the box set of the first set of uh, first series of Preacher over Christmas and you got it on DVD, but you also got a code that would let you watch it anywhere else as well. So on your desktop, on your phone, on your tablet, that that ability came baked in with the DVD. Well, that's good. That's it's, it's another way of, of, of doing things. It's a developing situation anyway, as I say. It's And it's also interesting to see that Hollywood has come to Ireland to take their case in the courts here. We keep an eye on that story. Uh, there we go. Listen, that's it for now with the uh, the week's news stories. Now, thank you very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Eat, sleep, stem, repeat. 
is the title of a brand new documentary about the all-girl outbox incubator project that took place in London in 2015. Niall Kitson went to meet with Outbox co-founder Mary Carty to talk about the film and how to make sure that girls don't lose interest in science and technology careers. This afternoon I'm out in the offices of Salesforce in Dublin for a screening of a documentary about Outbox which was a, an incubator programme specifically for girls between the ages of 11 and 22 that took place in London in 2014 2015 and I'm here with the co-founder Mary Carty and we're just going to talk a little bit about um, the importance of STEM in uh, secondary school, particularly in young girls and in getting young girls interested and keeping them interested in STEM and careers in STEM. So Mary, tell me a little bit about um, Outbox, where the idea came from and um, the overall movement, I suppose, behind it. So we developed Outbox Incubator because we knew and understood that girls really needed an outlet for their ideas. So Anne-Marie Amaphidon founded STEMETS a couple of years ago and STEMETS is a social enterprise that works with young women to help advance the numbers of young women in STEM and to build their skills and confidence. Um, so STEMETS have all sorts of events, um, panel events, schools events, uh, exhibitions, hackathons, all that type of thing. Um, and during all these events, we were meeting these absolutely wonderful women who had great ideas, who had businesses, who constantly told us that they weren't being taken seriously. And they had nowhere else to go. Or the other story was, I'm the only girl in my engineering class, or I'm the only girl who's studying honours maths, or there's no honours maths in my school, or all of those types of stories that you hear. Um, and being a tech founder myself... I really understood that we have to do something to, to address this. There is a huge need. So Anne-Marie Mafdon and I got together and we created Outbox Incubator, an incubator for young women in STEM aged 11 to 22. And we hosted it in London in a red brick house and 115 girls took part and 29 companies were formed. And in terms of that uptake, you know, over 100 girls in one house over, why, six weeks. Um, how did that fit in with your overall plan? You know, uh, were you bowled over by the response? We were absolutely bowled over by the response. We thought initially when we put, put plans together that we'd have 60 girls for the summer. And we received over 200 applications in a really short time from girls all over the world and in the end we had 115 from nine countries so the need is huge it's absolutely huge we thought we would have maybe 10 or 11 girls from Ireland we had 30 uh, so it'll just go to show you the amount of talent and ambition that's out there and you know there isn't really an outlet for this type of thing so tell me a little bit about the culture within the house. I mean, when you sort of mention a, an incubator or you know, any sort of tech hackathon culture, when you're thinking of boys, they will be happy in a dark room just staring at their screens all the time. Um, maybe that's an unfair stereotype, but how does a female, predominantly female, culture translate? I think what we wanted to do was create a culture that was inclusive and safe and welcoming and we wanted to create a culture that it was absolutely normal for you to love STEM, love blogging, um, are interested in technology or culture or music or whatever it was. It was completely open and inclusive, doesn't matter who you were, where you were from, um, urban, rural, 
what type of school, it didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was your passion for this subject. And I'm not sure about, you know, cultures for boys and cultures for girls. I think any culture that you want to create has to be open, welcoming and fun. And the one thing we said was it cannot be like school. It had to be fun. So lots of food, lots of fun, lots of downtime activities, um, lots of visits to industry like Etsy and Salesforce um, so that the girls could discover all their personality everything that's important about them and that was a wonderful thing the girls bought their whole selves endeavor and that idea of sort of bringing the whole self to the to the project um what are, what, what was the gamut of people like there i mean was it girls that were just interested in machine learning or ai or was it you know fashion bloggers or people who just wanted to improve on their video production skills what sort of people were we seeing we had everyone. I mean, we had girls who are absolute deep coders, um, really interested in AI. We had girls who were incredibly passionate about genetics and biology. We had girls who were interested in engineering. And then we had those who were really interested in fashion and blogging and music. So we had every, you know, every type of interest across that full STEM spectrum we had in the house. Um, the youngest girl was 11 years old. So you had girls who were still in primary school or just started secondary school all the way up to the girls who are in university. And, and all those types of experiences coming together. So when you have this situation where it's obvious that there is a, a groundswell support for STEM amongst girls, why do you think this sort of level of enthusiasm isn't necessarily translating itself up the food chain towards secondary level, honours secondary level, and then beyond into third level? I mean, if that kernel of enthusiasm is there... I think it's there. I just think we haven't figured out a way to harness it. I think that there are a lot of girls who are really interested in this area um, and who are put off because their friends tell them it's not cool or they don't want to be. Let's face it, do you want to be the only person in the class who is like you, who um, dresses like you? Or It's very hard to be the only one. It's, it's lonely and it's difficult. And if you're a teenager we can all remember back to our teenagers that's really difficult so I think part of it is role models you cannot be what you cannot see so many of these girls have never been encouraged to actually think about STEM as a career path even if they are wonderful at maths or engineering or whatever um, so I think the groundswell is there I think that there are a crazy amount of young women at the moment who would love to take part in Outbox or Stemets or loads of these events, Coder Dojo, whatever um, and we need to help give them more opportunities When you look at role models for girls, you know, I guess people's first role models are their parents uh, and I think a report came out recently saying that one of the biggest barriers for girls getting into a STEM career is in fact their parents. So what do you think can be done at that level, particularly for parents that didn't embrace STEM themselves? It's difficult and I think I'm a parent and I know most parents want the best for the children. Hands down, we all do. But I think it's a kind of unconscious cultural thing where, I've read this before, where parents want safe careers for their daughters. And that absolutely frightens me. But if you think about it, you know, a lot of the time you will see parents and they want their daughters to be teachers or whatever because they want them to be in a career that's safe and secure for them. There doesn't seem to be the same conversation or the same fear around their sons. 
Um, and I think if you brought this to the attention of a lot of parents, they wouldn't have consciously believed it. So somehow, in some way, culture, our culture, how we have capped the ambition of our daughters, unconsciously. And is that sort of um, almost a projection of their parents' own need to have their, you know, their daughters safe, that there, there is that sort of fear of risk? Um, maybe. Um, I'm sure there's an element there. But I also think that traditionally and culturally and in a lot of people's homes and families, there isn't a history of, you know, women in their families taking on these types of careers. And there's also a lack of knowledge as to the opportunities that are out there right now. Um, So there's a couple of things coming together. So, yeah, it's risky. Yes, it's different. Um, And you know what? I'm not sure if a lot of parents would like their daughter to be the only girl in the engineering class. That's hard. So I can understand it from a, from a parental point of view, but I can also understand that there are absolutely huge opportunities in the world right now. And we need diverse voices and we need diversity and we need to change this because we cannot continue to do what we're doing. We can't ignore 50% of the population. I think it's a it's an interesting point that was raised during the uh, film that we saw Eat, Treat, Eat, Drink, Sleep, Stem. Sleep, stem, repeat. <laughs> Get there eventually. But um, it's a, a point that was made during uh, the film was that technology has redefined its own culture, but instead taking it from a point zero and making something new, it has actually ended up just replicating existing structures in society. That's a really sad thing, that, you know, a culture that we have developed um, has replicated, patriarchy, I suppose, in a way, has has replicated itself in tech, and that's sad. Um, And I think if we look back through lots of different you know, ages through history, we see the same type of things repeating itself. So it's our opportunity now to actually change that culture and have this conversation and ask ourselves honestly, how do I treat my girls versus my boys? Um, is there equal opportunity? Do we have equal opportunities? Is there equal access? How do I speak to the, you know, my female colleagues? How do I support my male and female colleagues? How do I actually support the people around me to support the women in their lives who are taking these risks, if you like, um, and who want to change the ratio and who really want to go out and develop something different or new or be the first, I don't know, engineer in their family? And returning to Outbox and I guess the fallout from it, um, has a network effect been created? Do we now have a, a cohort of girls out there who are embracing and are taking their projects forward that maybe wouldn't have before? Definitely. The, the network, the friendships, it's continued. Um, these girls help each other out still. They're in constant communication. They visit each other across countries. Um, a lot of their projects that they were working on the house, they're, they're currently, they're still working on them. Um, girls who were 15 and 16 at the time are now being accepted into university and they're all taking on uh, careers and courses in the STEM fields. Um, and most of all, what they've got out of it is self-belief and the belief that they can do these things, take it on, and it's not weird, it's normal. And what's the future for Outbox? I mean, is it, uh, I gather there may in future be a, a local version. Yes, we have decided to bring the next Outbox incubator to Dublin. We feel that Dublin is a great place for the next Outbox. We have a huge amount of supporters who really care about this. Um, 
we know the appetite is here. It will be an international call as the last one was. Um, and we know that we can make it happen in Dublin. We've got, you know, a huge community of supporters behind us. So if you want to help, please do. And if you want to learn more, what's the website? The website is outboxjourney.com. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Outbox co-founder Mary Carty. Niall's still with us. Just before we go, Niall, uh, we have a one more thing, one story that's online that we just couldn't get squeezed into the podcast. What is it? Yeah, we've got some further developments in the Europe v. Facebook case, which we've been covering for quite a while. Ah, very good. Read all about that and all the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on techcentral.ie right now, as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.